Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. We are here with our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We are also, as always, joined by our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Guys, what's going on? Another week, another podcast, lots happening in the news. We're going to hit lots of topics. Max sent through some good stuff, uh, and we'll get to that in a bit. But first, how's everyone doing? Max, how's the post-show come down? Uh, Shaney, you're back to sort of normal life after being at a cottage for a couple weeks. How are you guys living in this sort of like uh, post-event world? It's definitely a come down, for sure. Um, You know, I was getting flooded with you know, DMs and tags and stuff like that the weekend of the show. And then, you know, it kind of goes back to normal. So, um, feeling that a little bit. Yeah. You um, sound depressed, Max. <laughs> no, no, I'm all right. I, I had a bit of a sore throat after, uh, after the shows, but, but I tested negative for COVID. So that's okay. Did you think it was the singing your, your lungs out for three nights in a row? Or were you like, Oh no, this is like uh this is a little bug or something. Oh, uh, maybe it was a combination of the two or something. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. And you had the cure for COVID anyway, which was shaking your uh, tail feather, <laughs> yeah, just right? just keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Birchall and Brent actually got a country house for the week. Um, mm. And they were bugging me to come up, to come up. And I know I've, I've committed to this cottage, which will happen. Wow. Which will happen. Wow. <laughs> John Lamparski, Shane's father-in-law, <laughs> and, has been bringing this. And, you know, my philosophy lately is let's. I don't want to plan ahead at all. So I don't know that that's annoying for anybody else in my life. I'm like, ah. But then yesterday afternoon at about 2 o'clock, I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not doing anything. Lights is in town with manager Ash. They're working on some stuff. So... Ash will be doing that for the afternoon. I, I don't really have anything to do. So I got in my parents' car, drove up, got there and around. What time did I get there at? It was probably just maybe 4 o'clock. By 10 p.m., I was like, eh, going to bed. Woke up at 7. And then I left before everybody was <laughs> <laughs> woke up. <laughs> Hung up by the pool for 40 minutes. Read 30 pages of a book. And that was that. Doesn't sound so, like a fun time. Was it not a fun time? It was. It was. It was perfectly nice, mm. but it was fine. It was okay. totally fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't want to belabor the cottage stuff because we've done that like six episodes. Uh, Shane, what's going on with you? I celebrated my fifth wedding anniversary. I know you Yay! weren't at the uh, the wedding, Max, but you were invited. Mm, uh, I was. Subject. So you're probably Shit. not tracking it as closely as maybe Mike was, who was in attendance. Uh, mm. Some might say he was Great the best wedding. man at the the wedding, even. <laughs> only because you couldn't attend, though, Max. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we celebrated. We were in a pool, and we went to Pillar and Post. I was in a pool for about eight hours. I drank, um, you know, a hundred drinks in the pool. I was even eating in the pool, which I don't. I oh, don't how did know. that go? Well, I was. I just. I didn't want to get out of the pool. We had this thing where we're not going to leave the pool all day. And it's obviously very weird and probably unsanitary to eat in a pool, but I just put the food over the ledge and climbed up over the ledge and just (laughs) like 80% of my, my ankles were still in the pool as I was like eating over the ledge. So it didn't seem to bother people too much. It didn't bother people. That's the kind of thing. Wait a second. For our listeners, you just like stood up kind of out of the frame. Were you using your hands or were you like going up on your belly like a dolphin at SeaWorld and eating the food just with your mouth directly off the plate? It was cauliflower bites. So I had to use a fork. Mm. Oh, were, okay. All right. But they, they were the best cauliflower bites ever, man. Like I used to be against, against them because I'm such a wingman, but it's they're just as good, really. Really? Wow. And yeah. Yeah. 
interesting. Well, and that's my interesting uh, story for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, okay, no, this is a, this is an interesting angle. So, it's uh, it's uh, it was your it was your five year anniversary, yes. which is a not insignificant number. It's, Longest it's, relationship I've ever been in right now. Oh my goodness! Longest marriage, uh, even relationship. in marriage, marriage you've, ever, you've ever been in. <laughs> yes, longest marriage first, and probably only yeah. Uh, uh, so five years. People people get big about like five, ten, fifteen, twenty. You know, it seems to be like a big marker. Did this feel any different to you at five years than say year four or year three? Like, did it have did it have any significance to you beyond just another year because it's that significant number five? Yeah, we're heading out of that newlywed territory and now it's like wow this is a this is a real marriage Mm -hmm. and uh we didn't get each other any gifts which i think is also a sign of okay wow you're really getting settled in here to to marriage when's the last time you got her a gift for christmas and her birthday Mm -hmm. yeah for that we do normally we write cards even for every anniversary but we just bought two Hallmark cards and we didn't even sign them. We just handed them to each other. And, <laughs> and in fact, as another sign that you're in like an older marriage is I bought her card for me and her card for her. <laughs> Not that Garvin, honey. Yeah, and she didn't even sign it and we just read them. So yeah, that's... Were that's they funny kind of, Hallmark cards though? Like how much time did you spend in the shoppers? Well, I spent a bit of time. I wanted to get a card, a funny card for me to give to her. And I wanted a more sentimental card for her to give to me. Because <laughs> you wanted to feel it more? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she really loves me. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I wanted to do it how we normally write when we handwrite our cards. Because mm. I was thinking, oh, this is a little stressed. We don't have the kids for this. But to get the kids ready, we had each kid go to a babysitter. So, um, so they, the grandparents wouldn't get overwhelmed. Each set of grandparents had a, a, had a child. But in doing all that, I knew we weren't going to have a lot of time to write our cards out. And Alex usually writes me a very well-written sentimental card. And I used to do that. But in recent years, I've realized Alex doesn't care for that. All she wants to be told is how sexy she is, how hot I think she is. So my cards usually just talk about how I want to like get physical with her and she's gotten even hotter with age and all that. <laughs> but I found a Hallmark card that did that. So I'm like, oh, oh this will be what funny. Did it say? What it did just, it say? It said uh, one, of the, one of the most romantic things you can ever say is I do, but my favorite thing to say is let's do it. Or something. It was a it was a Hallmark card, so I was like, "That's funny." Editor's note: I did not have the card in front of me when I was trying to remember what it said, and I feel like the writers at Hallmark might feel like I didn't do the card justice. So I'm just going to say what the card actually said. Okay, on the front of the card, for some reason, there's a cartoon cat with his arms open and a speech bubble that says, "I do." The two most exciting words in the English language. Then you open the card again. The cat's still there. Another speech bubble. It says, "Do me." The other two most exciting words in the English language. Then below that, it says, happy anniversary, babe. Anyway, back to the show. That seems like something I would say. And I thought it would be uh, funny that I found a card that perfect as in my voice. And then her card was pretty much in her voice. But yeah. Do you have those uh, earlier letters saved when you're talking yeah. about how hot her body is? Do you have those saved? No, the, the early ones, I would try to get sentimental and try to make her, mm. you know. Oh, sorry, a, but a have, do you have any more recent ones where, you, where they're just basically like erotic? Oh, yeah, thrillers? I can go read one. You want me to grab one? <laughs> can you get one right yeah. now? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. This is an amazing <laughs> idea for the, the, the podcast. What a segment. This could become a reoccurring segment on the pod. As Shane runs to his letter, uh, his letter cabinet. 
Okay. Okay. Shane has come returned with the letter. Uh, this maybe this is going to be an ongoing segment. I, I'm I'm excited for this. All right. Okay. So what this, year are we talking? <laughs> yeah. What year? Okay. This was her third. Happy third Mother's Day. Okay. So that was this past Mother's Day. Yeah. I like that it's a Mother's Day card here. That's going to talk about getting physical. But go on. Okay. I'm just making sure that this is good. Okay. I'm I'm not sure if this. I haven't read this in a long time. But okay. <laughs> And we may have to beep some stuff or something, but so bear with me here. <laughs> I never thought that my irresponsible crop top wearing girlfriend, and then in brackets it says, and fast fiance, would go on to become an, such an incredible mother and wife. We Sweet. are so, That's we, very nice. We are so lucky to have you. The best part of having Lucy and Betty was the sex that led up to their conception. <laughs> <laughs> And I also, I bought her kind of an expensive uh, dress uh, for this Mother's Day also. And it says, spending $250 American on that sleeper dress (laughs) was totally worth it because I know it's going to lead to hot sex. And then in brackets, it says, sex that I enjoy greatly. You always look hot, but especially hot in those dresses. You are the Susan Sarandon to my Tim Robbins. Happy Mother's Day. Wow. The reason I put the Susan Sarandon thing was we yeah. just watched that baseball movie. Bull Durham. Bull Durham, where she's like a sex <laughs> goddess and she makes people better baseball players through sex. Anyway, that's my card. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I can read a new card every week, but uh, yeah, that could be a new bet. That's great. Susan Sarandon and Tim Robbins were one of the longest Hollywood couples ever. Yes. Very, very long and successful and fruitful uh, relationship. Sadly, they divorced. They did, but it was, but still in Hollywood terms, it's considered like one of the greatest, longest, like four decades sort of deal. Yeah. But to Alex, that actually hurts more when mm. she sees a really long marriage that dissolves. She just, you know, she loses her belief in love. So she she's hates got her own That's parents. She's fine. Just look at her own folks, you know, it's all know. good. You know what though? This gets to like the deep psychology. And I've thought about this myself, you know, like, um, you know, Shaney and I, our parents uh, separated. They were they divorced. We are ch- children of sort of separation and divorce. And in our friend group, like a larger friend group, it, it crosses the spectrum, right? You have different people who have come from those homes. And then you have people who have have parents who have been in these long sort of like beautiful relationships. Max, you're one of them. You come from this sort of very happy home. Your parents have been together uh, all this time. The uh, um, Alex, obviously, uh, John and Lorna have been together for, for the long haul. Uh, how do you guys think that affects? Can you see a discernible difference in the way that people process and approach love and their sort of belief and faith in love, depending on the sort of homes they came from and and the examples that their parents set when they were younger? Can you see that amongst our peers? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I think part of it has to do with just like the personality of the parents. So it has less to do with like maybe how the relationship worked out but more just in like the disposition of the parents so some some people are like very happily divorced and and have like a zest for life and even though they you know had trouble in in their first marriage they're still an optimistic person and that's sort of the character traits that have been passed down to their kids and conversely i think there's some parents that have been together forever and are kind of miserable and maybe are crotchety people and pass that down to their kids you know what i mean like it kind of mm. i don't know if it's specific to if the if the if the parents marriage worked i mean for sure i think in some cases that can be a very traumatic thing and and your belief in belief in love and all that stuff can be tainted um but i do i think it's more to do with just like sort of the personality traits that have been passed down so like specifically le- and less than less than the actual 
relationship itself. What do you think, Shane? Could also depend on the step parents too. Because mm. if, let's say, the first marriage didn't work out, but the second marriage did, which is the case with my dad and uh, his wife Roseanne, my stepmom, who's like my, a second mother to me, that could reinstill love in mm. a lot of people. If they think, oh, I'm just never give up on love, like it'll find a way, especially if your parents got married very young. And mm. we know now people tend to get married in their 30s where in my parents' day, it seemed to dip towards more like the early 20s you got married. Mm-hmm. So I think divorce is a, was a little bit more prevalent in those relationships where they got married in their early 20s. One thing I do not want to think about is uh, any of our friends divorcing. Because, but, but as you say, Shane, five year, you're five years in. You know, people start to get divorced like in their, you know, early 40s, mid 40s after, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. statistically speaking, something bad might happen. And I don't like to think of that. Does that, does that. does that thought scare you of any of our friends getting divorced? Well, just now it did, but I, I hadn't really <laughs> ever. Now that you bring it up, I'm terrible. <laughs> yeah, I wonder because statistically some of our friends would get divorced, right? If the divorce rate's nearing 50% or over. Half of our friends will likely get divorced, but it doesn't seem like any will. And I know that seems naive, but I, I can't picture any of them breaking up. Can you guys? Maybe a couple. No. Yeah, maybe one. Couple. <laughs> 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 I won't mention who. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine. I do think kids change. I think Shane brought up a good point too. We all, like those of us who who got married, we got married so much later than our parents got married. It was like we kind of spent our twenties, you know learning and exploring and doing all of those things that, you know, they say that people that get married when they're like 21, 22, sort of, they find themselves longing for whatever. Like, I feel like we all sort of had this big runway and then got married in our early thirties or mid thirties or whatever it was. And it's like, yeah, I just feel like, you know, more about yourself. Like it's almost like a second marriage in a weird way because of the maturity level Mm -hmm. that all the dudes Mm -hmm. were at. I think when they made the choice, if that makes any sense. So less likely that divorce divorces will happen because I think, we were all at a point where it wasn't like a, a naive rush into it sort of thought. It was like a, at least I, like I know from, it was like a very measured sort of like, I know myself now and this is what I want to do. And you know, all that stuff. I believe in love with this person and, and all of that business, I think. No, that's, that's a fair point. And you really know what you want in a partner too, which is, I guess is part of knowing yourself, knowing what you want in a partner and what's going to actually last beyond the, you know, initial attraction. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, I guess the, yeah, my initial sort of thought is, I guess, and maybe this is just too, uh, too, too general broad, but like our children of sort of separation or divorce, are are they more cynical when it comes to love than children whose parents have, have been in a relationship for much, a very long time? I do think it depends on how happy your life was after the divorce. Right. And Mm. if your parents do find a happy relationship after that, because I think if they don't and it's just, everything is shattered after that and, you know, there you don't see your parents living happy life. I think that can affect you in the way you view marriage or maybe you're more you're more, I don't know, hesitant to get married. Yeah. And if it leads to unst- instability afterward, but some mm-hmm. in some cases, maybe it leads to more stability because like the, it was a toxic relationship. Your parents yeah. had a toxic relationship 100%. and then it's actually on to a better thing. Um Hey, um, not to switch subjects here, but uh, Mikey, I noticed the Raptors t-shirt that you're wearing, and I and I appreciated <laughs> yeah. the text that you sent me the other day, um, oh. <laughs> which was amazing, and it was so transparent in the best possible way, and, and I only bring this up because you are a very 
so I want to say like practical. You, um, you're very uh, sort of appropriate. You you know you never overstep. You know social conventions. You are you you mm. understand every corner of every social interaction and and, mm. and dynamics and all that stuff. Uh, but then you just <laughs> sent me a text. You're like, hey, Max. <laughs> Putting out feelers for the Raptors game. I need to be there. If you're looking for a date, I'm your guy. And I'm just like, I like, I, well, because obviously I might have access to some tickets. And I was just like, you know what? This is literally the only thing on the planet that you would be so like brazen and forthcoming. Yes. About. <laughs> it's so funny you say this. I literally, so the Raptors come out with their schedule. They announce all these dates. It's like, okay, it looks like they're coming back to Toronto. Their home opener is like against Washington, October 20th. It's like, Basically, I'm watching this video and I'm sitting there on my couch and I'm going, God damn, I'm like being in that building for that moment is going to be special. It's been two years since they've like been in Toronto. I'm like, would it be like a super gross play to basically just reach out to Max, who I love? No, and be I like, loved it. I loved it. I, loved I need it to be so in that much. building, brother. Yeah. I'm like, if you want a date and I know like there's no way you're not going to be in the building and I'm obviously going to like explore all my avenues of getting there, but I'm like, I would love to go with you. No, Maxine. totally. And by the way, you have the currency to make that ask because you never do that kind of thing. There's some people that are, that <laughs> there are some friends and mostly it's not even friends. I'd say a lot of the people that aren't your friends are the people that ask ridiculous things. Oh, and you're like, do we even hang out? And you're asking for tickets to the show. Like, what, what the fuck? Like, do you know what I mean? But it's, it's like our friends just don't like, don't do that unless it's something that of course is super meaningful. So if there is, some, and, and this is every single person knows what a maniac you are for the Raptors. So I was actually really happy mm. that you texted me. And, mm. I, and I told you, I said, listen, if, as long as I don't have to like, you know, bring if I'm not committed to bringing somebody else as part of like yeah. the deal, then you're, yeah. then you're obviously my number one date. By far. You were very gracious, yeah. and you hit me back right away. I felt real good. I'm no, like, no, oh, no, okay. absolutely. Planted my flag here. And, Are uh, you yeah, at all worried of a curse that you may be cursed in terms of attending big Raptors events and then something going awry? Because <laughs> the last time you were at the big Raptor event, boom, next day, every, the world shut down. Oh, interesting. Are you asking me or Max? Both of you. And then if you went to this, let's say, and then you, I don't know, went to an after party with Nick Nurse or something, and then boom, <laughs> next day, it's like Delta variant shuts down the world again for another two years. Would you Ugh. feel like you were cursed? I do know what you mean about like sports superstition and like, yeah, and how you can, I'm sure, like I've probably blamed myself for Maple Leafs losses in some way or another and Raptors losses Blue Jays losses. I've definitely like, I'm like, it's on me. Like I didn't fucking wear the right t-shirt today or some, or I was sitting on the wrong part of the couch while yeah. I was watching the game and they fucking lost. You know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, I've definitely thought about, you know, yeah, I've been watching Ted that. Lasso and there's a, uh, episode about superstition and a room being cursed. And I was thinking, yeah. I, it just yeah. reminded me of like when you two guys get together the last time <laughs> something bad went down. <laughs> Yeah, there's like once every hundred years sort of uh, calamity. I, I, I mean, I, it wouldn't be a thought about cursing the team going forward, going into it. And ultimately, one of the reasons that I got so excited about it, aside from my own sort of like be happy to have the rappers back in Toronto, et cetera, et cetera, was Max was describing what it was like to be at the Jays' first game back, mm -hmm. which obviously like Shane and I, we were not that, so I don't know. But by all accounts, Max, you were saying it was this very emotional, mm. cathartic, amazing thing for the fans and for the city. 
I, 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 much like the night that they like raised the banner, I almost just want to be in the building to feel connected to mm. that kind of energy, which has been lacking from all of our lives for so long. And that I feel like any concern about a curse or, you know, some low likelihood of like something crazy happening. Um, I just, I just want to be in that atmosphere. I want to kind of feel whatever that feeling is. Cause do you know what could break the curse? What's that? Having like a third buddy along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> One more ticket. I, yeah. He's right. He's that's right. I, I think that's sound logic. That and is sound court logic. And side would be very fun. Yeah, that would definitely break the curse. Yes. There's one, <laughs> hold on, it. let me think about it. There's one more thing. I'm thinking open bar, courtside tickets, after party with That could OG. do it, man. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think that's the thing. <laughs> um, circling back here to uh, Ted Lasso. Shaney, you're on season one uh, with the Season two room. actually moved on. Oh, the, okay. So no, I'm letting all of season two finish before I watch it. But uh, did you enjoy season one? Heck yeah. Oh, yeah. It has that total like Shit's Creek comfort food type of feel to it. It's awesome to watch every yeah. Great show. And Maxi, b- based on my strong recommendation almost a year ago now, have you watched season I ha- one? I haven't watched it, through? but I'm going to watch it. But I had it on in the background the other day. And um, they, I'm looking at your baseball hat you're wearing right now, Shane. Mm-hmm. And I, hopefully, this doesn't ruin it for season two. But, but basically, he talked, he he does the Allen Iverson bit mm-hmm. um, about practice. Have you seen this thing? What I loved about that scene, he does mm-hmm. the practice bit, but he never mentions Allen Iverson at all. Like typically, something like that would happen, and then there would be a tertiary character to fill in all the people who aren't in on the know who would say. Oh, isn't that Alan Iverson's speech? Yeah. But they never had that. It was they just for people who are in the know. And they did uh, they did like four things in Ted Lasso that I thought they were going to bail out and explain to the people who don't understand certain things, but they never do. Mm. And I really like that about the show. There's a great interview that I listened to that was promoting season two uh, that didn't really have many spoilers. And it was on Zach Lowe's podcast and the actor like writer dude that plays Coach Beard. Uh, he's like one of the the three co-creators, I believe. He was on Zach Lowe's pod and he talked specifically about that Alan Iverson speech. And he talked about sort of in the writer's room, um, they have like sort of this strong sort of philosophy that they don't explain those things. And if you get it, you get it, but it also has to work on its Mm. own without the explanation for it to be strong enough, like as a comedic bit. And, um, yeah, he says they have stuff that comes up and they'll like pin it to the wall. So like, if he's like, Oh, I want to do something with the Iverson speech last season, they don't get, they don't get to do it, but he pins it to the wall and then they find a way to do it in season Mm, two. And there's a bunch of those things, but it's a really cool interview. So if you're into Ted Lasso, uh, even if you haven't seen season two, that's a cool interview to listen to. If you want to like, sort of like get into the sort of how the sausage is made, he's really sort of interesting in explaining the show and how they write it and and how they come up with their ideas. They did a a similar thing with the movie Magnolia. They reference a guy, I don't know, looking like Tom Cruise with a, a, a mini pony ponytail in Magnolia. And then later on in the episode, they play a song by Amy Mann called Wise Up, which is featured prominently in the movie Magnolia. Yeah. And as it plays, Alex is going, oh, I really like this song. And I go, that's from Magnolia. That's like a callback. And they're never going to reference why that song's Mm. being played. But for people in the know, it's a very cool feeling. That's awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, did I tell you I saw Stillwater? Did, did I tell you I watched that? Oh, Matt you Damon. did it. The Matt Damon film? Yeah. Okay. It's it's like it's like it's like this is an interesting film for a couple reasons. One, they marketed it like it was taken with Liam Neeson. Like it was like a Matt Damon sort of taken, but it's not that. Mm-hmm. And you can get into what it's about. And then two, on the press junket, 
I'd, I'd mentioned on this podcast how he was so sort of gracious about talking about past bombs and how he was so good at and media savvy and sort of giving these interviews. And then literally after we posted the pod, he gave that disastrous interview, I think, to <laughs> UK press <laughs> yeah. and basically told that terrible anecdote about how he just stopped using like the slur uh, for gay. And then I was like, I just praised this fucking guy. Yeah. And now he's making headlines for being an idiot in press. <laughs> he's Boston so anyway, guys. He you was, can't trust yeah. him. You, know? you can't trust these Boston, you these Boston guys. you quoted but, yeah. after he did that. <laughs> interview so then you almost got canceled <laughs> mike veerman supports matt everything matt damon says yeah that was a terrible headline i was like fuck uh, uh, but anyway so how was it i you loved still it you, you was actually cool I, I mean i did the michael kerman philosophy of knowing absolutely nothing about it i knew he was on bill simmons podcast and i actually skipped over the part where they talked about the movie um but it, it was a, just an awesome movie like i had no expectations going into it but the story is a really interesting one the title of the movie makes no makes no sense to me really at all. You think it's like a fracking movie, like something environmental? Yeah, or something. I, yeah, it's yeah. so bizarre. It's not um, about drinking water or anything. No. <laughs> it, anyway, I, and I saw it. Here's the thing: is I saw it in the theaters, and the experience of seeing because I I saw um, Fun City. What's a movie? New Guy, Guy City. Oh yeah, yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I saw that one. I saw Free Guy. Free Guy. Free guy. Uh, I saw Sin City. I saw, but not Sin City. But I saw a bunch of Suicide all the superhero movies. Yeah. Suicide Squad. I saw that one. I saw, I've seen all these fucking superhero movies in theaters, and I enjoy just being in the theater, and it's good. But I'm like, man, I kind of want to just go see like a regular, like well made Hollywood movie that's not a superhero movie. And this was exactly it. It reminded me of a of like not the talented Mr. Ripley, uh, and I'm oh, only saying that movie. because um, Matt Damon's because in Matt Damon's in it, and there's a European <laughs> thing to it. But um, and that's I always I don't want to say anything more. But if you're just like looking for like an awesome like classic like late '90s early 2000s like drama thriller that has like a lot to it, highly recommend. Oh, it. I want to see it now. Yeah, go see it in theaters if you can. Still, it was just, I just loved it. I had zero stuff. interest to see that, but now I, I can't wait to see it. Oh, I, th- I think you should see it with Alex too. It's okay. just like totally there's some relationship stuff to it, family mm. stuff. It's awesome. Really, really good. Will you be watching that movie, Mike? it's it feels like the exact sort of movie that if it comes on like the movie network on a random like you know tuesday night when i'm flipping and then i catch it 10 minutes in and then i could see myself sitting through it but like there's so much on my list of appointment viewing that i just have not had time like my brother everybody's like like white lotus watch white lotus Mm, i I don't even know what i'm gonna fucking find time to do any of this so Stillwater would be way 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 down the list there is actually though another controversial component about this movie, but Max, you don't want to give anything away about the movie. I don't know. I don't know. The only thing I know about the movie is that it essentially is basically the story, and we can cut this uh, if we want. Of, and I don't know who, who's familiar with, but she went on a huge rant on Twitter about what. How can you appropriate her story? without sort of involving her, without her sort of receiving any sort of monetary return. Oh. And, and I thought that was an interesting sort of angle for her to basically be like, they're exploiting my story, um, but I'm not involved. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of her angle about this film. Yes. Um, you, you know what I like to do is I'd like to um, beep, okay. beep that. And because I, I didn't even know it had anything to do with that. So, and, and it's an interesting conversation mm-hmm. uh, about whether she deserves royalties or something. I don't personally think she does. But um, that's a different conversation. But let's not talk about it anymore because I think it's better if you guys. Yeah. Okay. All right. But speaking of entertainment and television stuff, I deliberately did not read any tweets, any articles, any podcasts about this Jeopardy situation because I only wanted to hear this story from the man himself, 
Mike Veerman. <laughs> I'm glad you said Mike Veerman and not Mike Richards, who was the host that got ousted. You bring him onto the pod. Surprise. <laughs> Shane just adds him to the Zoom. Oh, man, what a story. What a sprawling story. I mean, this is like, I'm sure everybody's sort of seen something in the news about this because it's been a sort of a huge entertainment story. And so like I, listeners might know, I've talked about this before, especially when Alex Trebek passed away, like, Danik and I are huge Jeopardy fans. We play, we have our own scoring system at home. It gets heated sometimes. We have a real affinity for the show and the format. And obviously Alex, um, after Alex passed away, you may have noticed if you watched show or if not, they basically brought in a ton of guest hosts. Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the uh, Green Bay Packers was one of them. They had Mayan Bialik, uh, formerly Blossom, Big Bang Theory, uh, Katie Couric. They just, they had this sort of rotating sort of stable of hosts with the, the idea that they would find a permanent host for Alex. These were sort of pseudo auditions while they also looked behind the scenes. And it was this whole sort of sprawling thing. And for fans of Jeopardy, you're pretty invested in the process and who you're going to ostensibly sort of be living with every night at seven o'clock for the next 30, 40 years, the way that so many people lived with Alex for decades. So manager Ash also hugely invested. Uh, one of the great pleasures of this search was, has been heard, you know, we message each other every time there's been a little hiccup in the search or a host has been, uh, you know, they, they, there's rumors that this guy might get it. This might get, might, might not get it now to the controversy. So this guy, Mike Richards, uh, you may have heard of, He's the executive producer of Jeopardy. He's been the executive producer of Jeopardy for a little bit now, um, but relatively recently in sort of the grand scheme of the show, he used to be an executive producer on The Price is Right. And for what it's worth, Drew Carey did vouch for him. But he's sort of been this guy that's been producing in game shows for like a couple decades, I believe, always with the intent that he wanted to get on air. He's sort of been like, I'm doing this thing, but he, he auditions for everything. He auditioned for The Price is Right, I think, the one that Drew Carey got. Uh, so he, was, he put himself as the executive producer of Jeopardy in the audition pool with all of these other people that were looking for it. So you've got this guy who's in this position of power and he's ostensibly looking at all of these candidates. Every Jeopardy fan is sort of invested in this thing. We're all going along. LeVar Burton obviously famously had this huge sort of push from the internet to be, to be the host. He finally got this kind of shot at it near the end of the hosting search. And then out of nowhere, everybody was pretty shocked when it was like leaked to the Hollywood Reporter that Mike Richards, the executive producer, who I think like, I think he did one episode or two, I don't even know if he did a full week of auditions, was about to name himself the permanent host of Jeopardy. So everybody's like, what the fuck is this guy? We literally just spent like eight weeks with a bunch of different hosts, all picking our favorite, being like, oh, Mayan Bialik would be good. This person would be good. This person would be good. And then this guy was about to announce himself. So immediately there's like a backlash. We're like, this is weird. Was this really even a hosting search? Like what is going on here? Basically a bunch of stuff comes out that he, uh, he'd been in a lawsuit with the prices, right? Because he did something funny where he didn't want to, he made some disparaging remarks where he didn't want to give like a pregnant, like, um, one of the models, like if she got pregnant, she wasn't gonna get to keep her position or something. So she brought a lawsuit. So we kind of had that. So he, so he was, he was a producer on prices, right? Yes. Okay. And he has this lawsuit from like a decade, two decades ago, whatever it well, is. Well, didn't he fire that woman, the the model from Price is Right, and then she sued? It was fishy. Yeah. Something like that happened, but this, the lawsuit got settled. So, but this comes up. So this is the first like wave against like the, the, the good ship Mike Richards where it's like, oh, I don't know if this boat's super stable. And everyone's like, oh, he survives that. He releases a statement. He says, I listen, I... I I'm a champion for women's rights. I'm a father. I'm a, I'm a husband. All that. The same sort of bullshit we was here. That's when Drew Carey's like, hey, for what it's worth, this guy, he's been a great executive producer, stand-up dude. They move forward. They announce he's going to be the host. Out of nowhere, The Ringer, uh, the website started by Bill Simmons, 
comes out with this huge expose. This author, Claire McNear, uh, who has written a book about Jeopardy in the past, she's super inside, has sources and all that. She writes like the ultimately damning expose on this guy, Mike Richards. And essentially she reveals the whole hosting process has been kind of like a farce. He's the guy that's been giving advice to the host. So like he's directing them so he can sort of direct them how he wants. He can tank certain hosts. As I mentioned, LeVar Burton was a huge fan favorite. They sort of acquiesced and gave him an audition. I'm doing air quotes. But what they did was everybody else got two weeks and LeVar, who was sort of the fan favorite, only got one week of shows. They taped all five in one day. So Richards kind of set it up to maybe like set LeVar up to fail. Um, Ken Jennings, who's like a beloved former champ, everyone thought he was like Alex's successor. This guy, Mike Richards, did some funny thing where I guess Ken early on was like, he was hosting shows in like a guest hosting capacity and there was like a, a conflict with production. And I guess people inside were like, oh, we could totally accommodate like the, the conflict. But Mike Richard as the executive producer is like, no, no, we're not gonna be able to accommodate it. And then he called his own number and he hosted that. Night. <laughs> so it was like, that's how he got himself in there. So it seems he, he put his thumb on the scale of this search from the beginning. This isn't the thing that basically got him ousted. The big thing that happened was he had a podcast uh, about 10 years ago, five, 10 years ago when he was executive producing The Price is Right. And the whole concept of the podcast was behind the scenes of game shows. And it was called, and Shane, you'll appreciate this. The name of the podcast was The Random Show. As you remember, we used to have Freedom. Yes. Freedom. This was The Random Show. Um, and it was all about how sort of game shows work. And it was, it was he would pontificate on things like Jeff Probst or Ryan Seacrest, and they'd go behind the scenes, et cetera, et cetera. So this author, Claire McNear, she listened to every one of these episodes. And as people do on podcasts, he got real loose. He he said derogatory things about women. He said some some like anti-Semitic things. Mm. He 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 basically he had like this female co-host, and they would talk about stuff she wore, and like he would be like, "Oh, you got to go work the slut booth." He would oh, talk God. about women how they looked in like bikinis, and it's like how oh one piece bikinis aren't. He just was like sort of like duding out in like a very he was being sort of very like, Howard Sterny one hundred percent. So here's where it gets complicated. So she reports all this. Everybody's like, this guy's piece of shit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, like if this was any other game show, like if this was even The Price is Right or if this was Survivor or if this was The Bachelor, this guy probably gets through this. The difference is Jeopardy is like this beloved institution whose fans like... (sighs) They love trivia. They're like, they're, they're so beloved Very about it. Very pure, right? Like, yeah. I don't think that they could abide. Like, you know, someone like Alex who, who says every year he took the test. He could actually be a contestant on Jeopardy. There was like an integrity there to basically just this like guy smiley coming in and taking over their beloved show. I think that was ultimately the equation of why this is different. Because I know a lot of people online are saying cancel culture and like this guy said this a decade ago. Should he get a pass now? I, I don't know the answer to that. All I know is as a Jeopardy fan, I was bummed out when I just thought this like, you know, dime store game show host was going to get the gig and not somebody who maybe, you know, held this show in the regard that the the the, the fans do. But maybe that's just a fan being a no, fan. No, I, I get it. Know. Like, uh, who's the host of um, The Bachelor who got, who got canceled? Chris Harris. Yeah, Chris Harris. Like, if Chris Harris, and I guess he did say some unsavory things, but if he had said some unsavory things about women's appearances or, you know, 10 years ago, you'd be like, yeah, well, yeah. And you also host a show where it's basically only models dating other models. It's a very vain show to begin with. I think the beauty of Jeopardy is it doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter what your background is. It's like, as long as you care about the show and try really hard at the show because you love knowledge <laughs> and, and you love trivia 
then that's all we care about. And and if you're not that kind of person, then we don't want you around, which which I get. I think there is a difference, it feels like, uh, with with uh, Jeopardy versus a lot of the other contestant shows. Who do you think is the best guest host? Well, or new host, I, mean, I suppose. Like, who should take over the show? Because there's been lots of guest hosts, I guess, right? Yeah, who is the best? Mm. They're gonna they're gonna start the search again apparently, and Maya Bialik is gonna sort of fill in. She's gonna be the host now while they do this, and I think she's got a sitcom right now. If it doesn't get picked, what up. what show is she on as a kid again? Maya Blossom. Blossom. Whoa. Blossom. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Joey. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to explain Joey it. Russo. That's very. Uh, yeah. You know. Oh, the right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Whoa. Um, yeah. So she was on Blossom, and then she more recently had her like career resurgence with Big Bang Theory, uh, and then. She has a new sitcom now that's going into like a third season. And I'd read that if that doesn't get picked up, she she's wants to be the permanent host. But I, she can't be if the show gets picked up. So that's the whole thing. So LeVar Burton is the other main guy who people wanted, right? They really wanted Every him. time, yeah. I didn't know who LeVar Burton was. But every time I read <gasps> something about the, the thing, I thought they were either talking about LeVar Ball <laughs> or Laverne Cox. <laughs> like they, they that would be amazing. In my mind. <laughs> I, and each day I was like, LeVar Ball, huh, interesting. Oh, LeVar Cox, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> There's neither. Uh, LeVar Burton is uh, famous for reading Rainbow, yes. which is like a beloved children's institution. And then, of course, playing Geordie LaForge and my beloved uh, institution, uh, children's institution, which is Star Trek The Next Generation. So he's like sort of this, he's been a seeker of knowledge and education his whole life with reading Rainbow. And he's got these reading apps and he fits the mold. Um, now, I did not see his hosting. I didn't see his week because we were in the middle of, of changing houses. Uh, but by all accounts, it was a rough go. Again, we know why. He had to shoot all five in one day. He didn't get time to settle in. And the ratings were not good on his episodes. That's right. But again, Mike Richards put him up against the Olympics. Mike Richards was really sort of puppet mastering. So, bef- was Mike Richards good as a host? Was he good? I, I don't know. I, I didn't see him. I, I mean, I saw his opening when he sort of did like a he sort of laid out what was going to happen after Alex passed away. And then I didn't see him as a host, but, but when you say guy smiley routine, are you just basing that off his smug kind of photo that he has? Uh, yeah, I think John Oliver called him like a, a golf bag with a smile. <laughs> I, I just think that like, uh, I think that the guy smiley thing comes from the reporting where he on his podcast had said a lot about how he was rooting for like the, uh, what it was like the mediocre white guy host. Like that's why he loves, he's like, I like when Jeff, Jeff Prost succeeds or Ryan Seacrest, because it means that like guys like me can get in there. And it just, it's so much more, it's so like, I don't know. It's so much more uninspiring than someone like LeVar Burton, who's like dedicated his whole life to like helping children learn how to read and making sure books get into the hands of those who need it. And then you have this guy that's basically like, I just want this sweet fucking Hollywood gig. And he's just very sort of crass about it. And maybe that's like the the naivety of me and like everyone in Hollywood's like that. But I'm just like, do it like how many people are like this in the world? Just these cynics cruising through trying to get these gigs. I'm like, can we not find somebody like even Aaron Rodgers, even Aaron fucking Rodgers, who's like, you know, high school quarterback. He's probably been like lauded and successful his whole life. Won a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. Even he is a Jeopardy nerd. And I could abide him like his love for the show comes through in the way he speaks about it. Like I can respect that 
you know, it's, it's, so it's not necessarily just about like another white dude or whatever. It's just like, do you care about the institution and, and, and like, would you getting it mean something to you? And then in turn, the viewers can feel that coming through the screen. Everything I read about this dude and I listened to a bit of his pod. I went and found like the archive. I'm like, I just need to hear the tone mm-hmm. with which this guy's talking and all this shit. I was just like, yeah, not this dude, anybody, but well, this Aaron Rodgers was already so famous. So it's so pure when he wants to host. Cause it's obviously not about anything other than his love of the show. Cause he doesn't need 100%. the fame. He's got fame to burn, no, but this guy, it seems like all he wanted to be was on TV at all costs. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he smells yeah. like. Yeah. So anyway, I, I mean, if I had to bet money, I think I'd be like, it's my Bialik was very good. I thought Buzzy Cohen was actually very good. Aaron Rodgers had a nice pace to him too. Like there was, there was good hosts. I would be surprised if it doesn't end up being, I don't know if they'll give LeVar another chance. Um, although they should. And I wouldn't be surprised if my Bialik show doesn't get picked up because I'd actually not even heard of it when I was reading, but I was like a third season. I'm like, shit. Uh, and then she just ends up being the host. So are we going to see? But uh, yeah, do you guys have any more thoughts sort of on this? Do you feel like, do you feel like they did? Do you feel like cancel culture got Mike Richards? Do you feel like he was unjustifiably high? Oh, he stepped down, by the way. We haven't said that. Mm-hmm. So he, so when this all came out the day before he was supposed to start taping his episodes and then literally Ash and I were texting and I'm like, do you think he makes it till Friday? And she was like, no way. She's like, how could he at this point? And then literally within like 24 hours, he had stepped down. Um, and now even his executive producing gig is in question, which is kind of hilarious. Cause it's like, if he just chilled and not tried to force himself into being the host, he would still have this amazing gig where he makes more money than you'd know what to do with. He'd still have all this power. And now he might like lose all of it. I'm sure he'll get a huge settlement and all that stuff, but still. Yeah. I guess the, the bigger crime is, is the kind of behind the scenes work that he was doing to to sabotage other people and then the the, the podcast and the bad bad behavior from 10 years ago that was that was like the really like the, the kick in the pants uh, i wonder though if he had generally if he'd gone about getting the gig in a more sort of forthcoming way and if he was more like righteous about it and less sleazy let's say and let's say he was really well liked let's say all the other contestants for the gig were like no he's actually an awesome awesome guy do you think the the podcast stuff from ten years ago would still sink him? It would or, have never or, or been he, found. It would have never been sought out. Mm. It was only sought out because people were looking through every tweet he ever did, every mm. ounce of footage they could find. That's interesting. So basically, yeah, if you're an asshole, you're, there's going to be a target on your back. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. If this had been Wheel of Fortune, you know, Pat Sajak, I like Pat, and Danica's like a Wheel of Fortune savant. It's actually hilarious to watch Wheel of Fortune with her. Um, Again, I think he would have kept the gig. I just think Jeopardy, I think for the people that work on that show, who clearly were all, you know, enough of them were sources for Claire McNear. Like, I think they were just like, there's some fuckery going on here and we can't abide it, you know? Um, Yeah, I don't know. It feels like, it feels like, I don't know if it's justice. I don't know. If you're Mike Richards or his family, maybe you feel crushed right now. Like it's, it's brutal. Maybe you're like, maybe he's like, I'm not that bad of a guy. Maybe he's like, I just was ambitious. And like Icarus, I flew too close to the sun. I don't know. Yeah, if you fly too close to the sun with that kind of face, you're kind of asking for it. You know what I mean? Like, John Oliver can get away with saying, like, the meanest shit because he's, like, this pasty white British dude. You know what I mean? Like, this funny-looking guy. But you can say, like, the meanest shit about people because he's like, look at this fucking guy. Golf bag yeah. and smiling or whatever the fuck he said. Uh, I just want a straight cut right now to Mike Richards hosting Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> But yeah, that would be the sort of gig that I think like a, like a career sort of game show host guy that's been pursuing it. That would be like, okay, like maybe you're, you're the appropriate host for that. I mean, again, like this leads to a larger conversation because I think a lot of people 
have made this issue about like cancel culture. They feel like, you know, oh, we're screwing a guy because of something he said in a loose sort of conversation a decade ago. But I I think it's bigger than that. Um, And I think they used this thing uh, and sort of the power of the internet and, and public opinion and these old podcasts to ultimately take down, which seemed like an injustice in the first place. But Anyway, for any of the, any Jep nerds out there, any listeners, uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Send us a message, send us a DM. I I always love hearing uh, people's thoughts on on Jeopardy because uh, it is quite a, a beloved show in our household. You guys ever gonna get on board? You guys gonna start watching? So no. can the three of us maybe watch together sometime? No, no? I'm shit at it too. I always feel really stupid. That makes me feel very dumb because I'll be watching it with somebody who's good at it, and then I'll be able to answer like zero of them and get my ass kicked. So not yeah. not for me. I watched with my in laws before, and they knew every single answer. John was like, come on, Shane, jump in there. And and I knew like one thing about a movie or something, but that was it. Just the the way things are formed as a question confuses me. Yeah, like I never know how to say it. Like what is, who is the, yeah, I can't catch up with that. It's like the game Never Have I Ever. I can never wrap my head around what it means do i put my hand up if i've done it or just ask have you ever done this but never have i ever it's just too much shit going on in that question <laughs> all right so uh that ended up being very long on mike richards i i know you're like mike i no, want to I explain that. it I, exactly I, I went no, deep we can on edit it, a lot of like that I... out too yeah no i'm kidding i'm kidding man people need nuance shane they need nuance <laughs> um all right uh well let's get to the uh the next subject then we'll do shane's uh surprise um maxi started listening to a new podcast mm-hmm. uh, on crooked.com uh, called the wind of change. It's a series. And essentially the, 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 I guess the, the elevator pitch is as the cold war was ending, uh, this band called the scorpions, uh, came out with a song called wind of change that a lot of people feel ended the cold war. It became sort of this anthem for peace amongst, you know, throughout the world. And it became one of the biggest songs of all time. Uh, I guess this podcast explores the idea or, uh, a rumor that the Scorpions didn't actually write the song Wind of Change, but the CIA did. I'm guessing in an attempt to, mm-hmm. uh, what, spread peace throughout the land, Maxi? Why did you want to talk about this book? Yeah, well, so I, I'm reading this book that Mike D and our band gave me uh, called Say Nothing. And it's by this journalist, Patrick Radden Keefe, who's a New Yorker, like, investigative reporter. And it's about the troubles of Northern Ireland in Belfast. And a, a few other people have read it. They say it's awesome. I'm like 50 pages in. I read a couple pages up the farm. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I Googled him. Turns out he's doing this podcast for Crooked Media, which is like uh, John Lovett and all the former Obama aides that have turned into like media stars. It's like their podcast organization. And it's called Wind of Change. And basically, yeah, there's this. Do you know, uh, hit me like a hurricane, like that Scorpion song? Like it's a really cheesy 80s kind of hard rock song. So they have this other song called Wind of Change um, that is internationally one of the, like the 13th best selling single of all time. In North America, I don't think it means as much, but if you go to Japan, Brazil, Europe, it was the number one song all over Europe. And it came out after around 1990, 1991, at the end of the Cold War. And yes, the premise is that they this reporter who has lots of sources with the CIA and knows people in every you know corner of America um, heard a rumor that the CIA helped them write that song uh, 
Um, <laughs> basically, so it would inspire the people of like Ukraine and Russia that the wind of change is coming and freedom is around the corner and this feels amazing. And it's this very cheesy ballad. Um, and the podcast explores it. I'm only, I'm on the fourth episode now, so I don't know if they did yet. So it's a bit of a cliffhanger, but they get into all the other stuff the CIA did, which includes Argo. And I was just listening to a rewatchables episode on Argo. And you guys know the story of Argo and how basically the CIA funded this Hollywood agency to create a fake script and get all these real life Hollywood players involved in this effort to get Americans out of uh, Iran. So um, anyway, all this covert stuff is always very, very interesting. And um, yeah, it just got me thinking. Uh, you guys are professional writers. Mm. Um, you, and you guys come up with campaigns all the time. I would also add, like, you know, our Kells, a lot of our songs have been used for political purposes to a degree. You know, it's like our song All Roads was transformed into this ballad for this PSA for getting the vaccine. So and Ty Cats are humming was used to get people into Iverwind Stadium, right? <laughs> exactly. To, to <laughs> get people drinking after touchdowns. Um, yeah, I was, yeah, I was wondering. Well, first of all, do you guys have any thoughts on this, this kind of CIA covert behavior, which leads to like a bloodless war is, is, is the CIA's claim. It was like, why do we have to go in and fight people when we can mm-hmm. win over their hearts and minds through songs or movies? That and, was actually and the things. original, uh, the original title of the song bloodless war. And the chorus was just belting that over and over again. But it's different. Argo, it was a movie that was written and presumably it wasn't a good movie, but for the CIA to have enough talent to write this <laughs> hit song, it's like, why go in the CIA? It's way cooler to just be an awesome rock star. Well, but here's the thing is that there is, um, I'm, and I'm learning through this podcast, is the CIA will basically like hire professionals. Like, So they might hire professional songwriters that are working on lots of different stuff. Do you right. think that the CIA can afford Max Martin? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, this is actually interesting because, okay, so um, in the third episode, they talk about how... Um, Nina Simone, who's, you know, one of the most important black voices of the 20th century, you know, a jazz singer, uh, she was sent on a trip to Africa by like, I'm getting the name wrong, but it's like the uh, Black Organization Association of America, basically, and they sent her over there to perform some concert for some, I forget which country in Africa. Um, turns out the CIA paid for that. She never knew that she was going under the guise of spreading the influence of America mm. and, and wanting America to be in good standing with like that part of the world. And she would have never have agreed to it. So the point is that the CIA, it's not like they're like have in-house songwriters that are, that are like in the basement of the Pentagon working on right. songs. They would just go out and say, hey, we're working on this thing. Max Martin, we need to party in the USA a little harder. Can you help me out here? And then Miley Cyrus comes in and sings that song. So, mm. well, speaking of Maxes who write songs, yeah. uh, let's say the CA comes to you, Max mm. Kerman. Yeah. Canadian Max Kerman, hit writer. <laughs> they say, listen, we uh, things are getting dicey with North Korea. <laughs> uh, we need a tune. We need a banger. We need something that's going to unite people over here. Uh, do you take the gig? Oh, good question. I mean, I don't know how good a feel I'd have for Korean culture compared to some other songwriters. Um, this depends. is our second pod where we've asked Max to do something for North Korea and put him on the spot <laughs> to see what he's doing. 
<laughs> what was the first? Okay, time? okay, okay, okay. okay. Let, 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 let's pick. Let's pick uh, like a fake place. No, uh, let's pick a real place. Let's do. All right, all right. All right. So that's so that's the ask. That's the ask. Yeah. Do you get involved, or do you go? I don't know enough about this. And the last time was just, would you ever play a show in North Korea? That was okay. The, okay, the last okay. I mean, I am reading this book on Northern Ireland, and I did go to Belfast once, and I did take a a tour of the city, and they went through all the trouble. So I do have a bit of a feel for that. So, okay, let's say things are getting dicey again in Belfast, and the CIA and the Canadian government comes and says, like, we need to spread the message of unity. Uh, Bono turned us down. He already wrote Sunday Bloody Sunday. Uh, and that's old news. We need something fresh. Would I do it? I might. I might have to. I okay. might have to guess. <laughs> so, so let's say you wrote it, and they give it to whoever they want to be the band to represent the song, and mm. it's the biggest fucking hit in the world. Would you be like, "Fuck"? <laughs> like, why couldn't this be NDA? an Arkell song? Yeah, I, yeah, you can't tell anybody either that you wrote the song. Not your closest friend. Nobody. Only Ash knows. Only you and Ash know. Would it be hard not to... When that song's playing, like, Wave and Flag. Remember that song? Oh, of course. Wave and Flag. Oh, yeah. Wave song, this, your, yeah. We were on that song, is, yeah. That song... So your new song, played by whatever Irish band to try and, like, calm tensions, is now playing everywhere in the world on loop. You can't say shit. I would, would be, be cozying up to every journalist with a podcast. And... <laughs> <laughs> leaking everywhere <laughs> I'd be you like, know i know a guy uh, do, do you want to hear something kind of interesting <laughs> send him on a wild goose chase um do you think you guys okay let's say um yeah i was thinking about the vaccine what kind of you know the vaccine hesitant people i know this is a very contentious issue right now but you guys are ad men this is your entire job is to create campaigns to sway mm. people to get them on side with whatever it is that you're promoting who would you um, sign up, uh, you know, to act or to be like the brand ambassador for uh, for getting like vaccine hesitant people? Uh, who, who would that be? Honestly, like, I don't know. I'd look at the demos. I'm going, who's who's hesitant? Who's not doing this? And who might sway them if anyone can sway them? Because a lot of research has shown like it doesn't matter who's like they're digging in on this. But like, let's say that somebody like. Austin Matthews, yeah, Kyle Lowry James. before he got traded, he, you know, like, 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 I just think athletes, like, I think an athlete who their body is a temple and they have a lot of sway mm-hmm. and they obviously yeah. put a lot of work into their body. They put a lot of thought into this. If someone like LeBron James was willing to say like, like get publicly vaxxed or like do a campaign on it, I think it would go a long way uh, for certain communities. Um, I think those are the those are the people that might be able to speak to like a hesitant sort of younger population or just sort of contrarians in general. But maybe that's... Do you, do you think Hollywood celebrities make it worse? Because it, it adds to people being, fuck these assholes. I don't want these rich liberal coastal elites to tell me what to do. Do you think it, Do you think like when George Clooney or whoever is like, get vaccinated, it's it actually worse? The Rock is the only the guy the only that one, yeah. not everyone's like, fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. And even I feel he like is starting, people are starting to smell Hollywood on him. Mm. But I feel like he was the only guy that could kind of like play both sides where universally people were into what he said. Did you guys see Trump got booed at his rally the other night for saying that he's vaccinated and that everyone should get vaccinated? Oh, no. Really? Well, never he's mind. Doing, he's doing a rally. Trump's up. Trump, the man himself is up there. And he's doing this rally. He's like vaccinations he's like i'm vaccinated i did it he's like you should do it you should go out and do it and then they start like booing him uh i think it was in alabama (laughs) what's he rallying for he just does the rallies now (laughs) he's just having rallies to rally he's gearing up for 2024 baby we're almost is that what he's doing that's the word 
Oh, he, he, he loves again. it, though. It's yeah. like, uh, yeah. It's, it's the only reason he liked being president. He didn't like the actual work. He just wanted to do the rallies. Um, but yeah, he basically says, are you looking it up right now, Max? I have another thing booed? I'm going to show you. <laughs> he, uh, so, he, so anyway, he, even he got booed and then immediately was like, it should be your choice, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought that was very telling as far as, you know, you can't tell people if they don't know. Um, this is great. This is sort of unrelated, but this this is a big Trump rally this week uh, somewhere. I'm not exactly sure, but I'll I'll play it through the microphone. You know what woke means? It means you're a loser. Everything woke. Everything woke. It's true. Everything woke turns to shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, oh. I haven't laughed that hard. And so, Donald. like, the, the timing of it's so great. You know what woke means? You're a loser. Everything woke. He waits like six beats, mm-hmm. turns to shit. He turns line. around and. Att- <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's really. I, I I enjoy him a lot more as the non-president just doing these rallies. It's kind of hilarious. His delivery has always been great. Really, I think you sent that to the group, and I think I, I, because I, oh, I, I it was like eleven group, at sorry. night, and I and I watched it, and his the like the the turns to shit line, like with the pause, mm-hmm. like made me laugh, and I was like, I said, even after all these years, I'm like, his delivery can still make me laugh. Like he's got a good sense of comic timing. It's just a fact. Um. All right, guys. I think it is that time. Uh, it is time for Shane's surprise. It's time for Shane's mm-hmm. dessert. Shani, what do you got? Okay, well, you guys know I'm very anti-drug, especially when it comes to meth. However, someone <laughs> meth addict, <Yeah>, however. <laughs> a meth addict did something very smart and kind of uh, ingenious, which is they pretended to be a police officer and do a raid on a, a drug house. And then they confiscated all the meth oh. and then did Whoa. all the meth that they, they stole. And it reminded wow. me of my own life in, when I wanted to <laughs> Where are we when going I wanted this? to sneak into uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. I dressed mm. up as a volunteer. I got a clipboard. I got a microphone, one of those Britney Spears microphones. Oh, and just yeah, I would yes. just walk through the front door and I went to the premiere of Into the Wild, sat right beside Sean Penn and Emil Hirsch and I've I've done that numerous times, like probably awesome. twelve times with different movies. Uh, mm. The Master, but I always Sean Penn and Emil Hirsch. Yeah, it's always those two guys somehow. <laughs> whether yeah, whether it's Into the Wild or The Master, they're always there. But I was wondering, have you ever used your powers for evil in a way where you're <laughs> sneaking into something, not necessarily super evil, but somewhat dubious? Oh, this is interesting. It's a good question. I, 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 nothing off the top of my head where like, I'm sure that like I've misrepresented myself in order to like get into something or, you know, I used to like bypass like lines in Toronto, like with my business card, but that was legit. I did work at much music. So that was pretty cool early on. But what you got me thinking about, um, is the idea, and I always think this whenever I watch these movies about like the rise and fall mm-hmm. of like a crime syndicate or something, or like these like really like innovative and successful drug dealers. I'm always like, your like your sort of fearlessness and your sort of innovation and your ambition, you could have been 
successful in anything. And it's like you go into sort of like some sort of crime or whatever. So it's like this unfortunate, this meth addict is, 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 has enough ingenuity to, to pose as a cop in order to procure a bunch of these drugs. That's really smart and very bold and all of that stuff. But it's like you, I just wish that they could take whatever that is that gives them the spark to do something you know, special within like a field, like, like whether you're going to drug dealing or organized crime or whatever, and do that in like a legitimate sort of like way that you could make the money that you could keep. And you didn't have to constantly worry that the police were going to knock down your door. You know, like the anxiety you get when you watch like a crime movie where it's like, you know, some mob boss will have his kids and his family and then they go down and you're like, Oh, like you were, you were smart enough and ambitious enough. You could have done anything and your family still could have had the, the nice house and the lifestyle and all that stuff. So it actually gives me more anxiety. And I find myself being like, you could have done anything. But I think when you're on meth, you don't really think of that sort of thing. Like the, the euphoria is just so great. Fair. Um, Max, have you used your powers for evil ever? You're a charismatic uh, guy. Yeah. You can fudge the truth sometimes. No, usually I like, I like to have like the nut be the one to lie, lie on our behalf. Um, <laughs> you know, like I don't want to be the person doing it, but I will like if so, for instance, like at Oshiega, we, we were trying to get into this very popular poutine place and Oshiega weekend in Montreal is like very, very busy. And it was like two in the morning. And uh, I might have told the story on the pod before, but basically, the, I think we were there. I think Shane and I were there. Oh, were you with us? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He does it again, folks. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, just to finish the story, um, the nut goes to the the guy at the front who's like figuring out this big ass line that we're currently at the end of, and he goes, "Hey, I'm here with uh, some members of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, we, we we need to eat poutine right now." <laughs> yeah. And then the, and he's like, oh, "Okay," and then we just got shuffled right in. It was awesome. Um, and none of us looked like we could be professional hockey players. <laughs> no, absolutely, we were and just also drunk dudes looking for poutine at two in the morning. Yeah, and we were also yeah. Why would he say that we're the Toronto Maple Leafs, like the most hated team of Montreal? In Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, this subject is interesting because I've been thinking a lot about spies lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm reading this book about Northern Ireland and there's a lot of like covert stuff happening there. And um, yeah, would you do you think you guys would be good spies? Like just being able to like lie your way through stuff? Because I, I don't know if I could be a good spy, but I feel like Shane, you could be a really good spy. This is my challenge for you. Maybe in the next week yeah. you can do it. I need you to lie your way into something. Pretending you're something, somebody else. I think you and Alex would have a really fun time doing it because you guys look like eccentric, glamorous people. Mm -hmm. So like now that the world's opening up a little bit, I want you to try to get into a very exclusive place. I want you to come to Toronto, get yourself a hotel room, and then... And like maybe tiffs coming up, maybe it was a tiff party. Maybe maybe you With do Alex. A it'll be back. so easy. I used to do this too every year of tiffs. Like some years I would have a girlfriend, some years I wouldn't. But if I was if I had a girlfriend at the time, I would put them in a sparkly dress, and then I would have the headset and the clipboard, and it would be like I was escorting a movie star through. No, you and know it just I want? became way easier. I want you to be one of the stars, though. I want you and Alex to be the glamorous couple. No, and put no, Alex no, no, in the headset. I, no, 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 no. Yeah. I want JR in the headset. I want Dig okay. to be <laughs> yeah. your security person, and I want you and Alex to get into a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it's true, because how I got into this, I watched a DVD, and it was like how to sneak into parties, and the, the main, the host, he said... Where do you buy that DVD? What is, what is this DVD? <laughs> he just says it like it's not a weird thing. Party break-in <laughs> depot. Um, but the guy was saying it's much easier to walk in the front door dressed as a rodeo clown with a donkey than it is to sneak in the back door. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, just like you're saying, be an eccentric weirdo 
with somebody who looks somewhat professional and they'll just let you walk right in without yeah, a potential. That's yeah. really good. That's good. That's the assignment. That's our assignment. I'm on it. All right. Thanks for listening. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Leave a rating. Leave a comment. DM us. Whatever. We appreciate you. Bye. Peace. Peace.